passing on the faith. In a relay race, there are usually four segments or four legs that runners need to run and also to pass the baton, a lightweight baton, on to the next runner then to complete the race. And it is a truism in racing that in a relay race, the race is either won or lost in how the baton is handed off. So if the handoff is clumsily done or awkward, the time may be impeded and that relay team may lose the race. This morning is the last sermon on the series of Family Life before we move into a new series. And I invite us to reflect on handing off the baton of faith to the next generation, to our children. And we see in the scriptures that one of the primary tasks of the Christian home and the primary task of parents is to hand off under the guidance and the power of God, under the guidance of the Spirit, to hand off the faith then to the next generation or generations because grandparents also play an important role in faith development of the future generations. So looking then at Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, and this will be uh, also on the PowerPoint. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Then also from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, where the writer says, But watch out, be careful, never to forget what you, yourselves have see- you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai, where he told me, summon the people before me, and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live, and they will teach their children to fear me also. Now one may question, one may ponder as to why I would turn or why we would turn to the book of Deuteronomy to talk about passing on the faith to the next generation. Why would we turn to this particular book? But Patrick Miller, in his commentary on this book of Deuteronomy, claims, and I quote, no book of the Bible manifests a greater concern for the transmission of faith to the next generation, end of quote. 
Now, I also want to emphasize right here at the onset of the sermon that it is not only the responsibility of the parents to pass on the faith. It's not only the responsibility of the home, but faith formation of children also needs to take place within the congregational setting. And when we as a congregation, when we dedicate children, when parents bring a child before the congregation and before God, we as a congregation emphasize and we proclaim that we will assist the parents in their godly responsibility, that we will support and we will augment them in their responsibility of passing on the faith of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. Now, this first scripture that was read, or that I shared with you, and from Deuteronomy 6, beginning with verse 4, is known as the Shema, verses 4 to 9. And that is the prayer that all Jewish children learn to pray as youngsters. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. That is a positive statement of the first commandment, a positive statement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And the Jewish people would roll up the Shema, would roll up these instructions in little scrolls and then would place them at, at the doorposts, by the doors of their homes and also their place of business. And as they would enter the home or would leave the home or the place of business, they would then touch those, those scrolls as a reminder of the instructions that God has given. In fact, in um, one of the books that I read, it indicates that you could go to the McDonald's in Jerusalem, in Israel, and see there the little scrolls that are rolled up inside by the doorposts in, in McDonald's. And the Shema begins with this instruction to listen or to hear. In the midst of the clamor and in the midst of the noise of our society, we are reminded and the Jewish people are reminded that we need to listen, to listen for God. Now, many of us carry around electronic gadgets, and I don't have my two phones that I usually carry with me. I leave those in the study on Sunday mornings. Um, but we carry around gadgets that inform us and tell us when somebody wants to connect with us. And so we might receive a voicemail, we might receive an email, or a text indicating that somebody wants to contact us. But here we are told to listen for God, to listen for the voice of the divine, to listen for the instructions of Jesus, how many times, how many times would you like to guess that the people 
are told in Deuteronomy that they are told to listen. How many times do you think we find that instruction just in this one book of the Bible? Well, the instruction to listen is given a total of 26 times, 26 times in this one book that they are told to listen or to hear, to pay attention. Now recall the story of Elijah. Elijah became depressed after his battle on Mount Carmel and his battle against the other gods. And Queen Jezebel then sent a death threat to him. And so he escaped and went to Beersheba, which is in the desert in the southern part of Israel. And then he traveled, after going to Beersheba, he traveled another 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, where the commandments were given to Moses. And then God told him in 1 Kings 19, 11 to 13, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, Elijah discovered that he needed to be still, that he needed to be silent to hear the still, small voice of God. It was a sound, as some translations put it, it was a sound of sheer silence, or as this translation puts it, the gentle whisper in the silence. God came to the prophet in the silence. And I would suggest, I would suggest to each of us that in our responsibility to teach a robust faith to the next generation, that we need to experience the presence of God coming to us, the presence of God coming to us as adults in the silent spaces that we have created in our lives. Now, some of us are busy parents with young children, and you might be questioning, how am I going to create any silent spaces in my life? Well, even if it's just a couple moments, even if it's just a few minutes to grab some silent spaces to allow God then to speak to us. Rabbi David Wolpe reminds readers that after eating the scroll of Revelation, that God ties Ezekiel's tongue. We find that in chapter 3, verse 26 of Ezekiel. 
and that God does not open Ezekiel's mouth for 30 chapters. Finally, in Ezekiel 33:22, Ezekiel is able to say, the previous evening, the Lord had taken hold of me and given me back my voice. And so I was able to speak when this man arrived the next morning. Now, I would suggest that the Lord knew that if the children of Israel would take time for silence and take time in for listening to God, listening to the voice of God, that they would be able to pass on their faith to the next generation. But they needed that experience to become passionate with God. They needed that experience of connecting with the divine in the spaces of silence in their lives. Out of their experience with God and out of their experience in serving God with this God of the universe with passion, that then in that context, with that as an understanding, with that as a background, then they indeed, by God's spirit and by God's help, they would be able to proclaim and to teach their faith to the next generation. Now, what were they to teach? What was the content of their teaching to the next generation? What did they need to impress on the lives of their children? We find one of the answers in the next verses of the Shema. And James Brenneman, in his book on Jordan's Stormy Banks, says, quote, a central theme in the book of Deuteronomy, then, is an attempt at persuading its readers in this and all future generations that the God of their salvation, the God of their worship, is not only God above all other gods, but even more significantly is the one and only God. That God is one God. That God is the only God, not just one God among many gods, but there is only, only God. There's only one God. Another area of content in teaching is that the greatest law is the law of love. From Deuteronomy 6.5, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And when Jesus was incarnate, when Jesus took on humanity and when he walked this earth, he was asked in Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So here we find that Jesus quoted scripture. Jesus went back to the Shema and also Leviticus 19.18 as he responded then to this lawyer when the lawyer asked him, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus is saying that these two commandments, 
These two commandments are the pivot points in the life of the Christian. They are the central and primary importance. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then to also, the second commandment, is to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two primary points. Now, let me then, in the remainder of the sermon, make some additional observations from this passage about the challenge and also the responsibility on passing on the faith. And number one is passing the baton of faith to the next generation happens best in the normal routines of daily life. From what I read in this passage, according to these instructions here in Deuteronomy, that we do not need to insist on a time of formal and a regimented time where the faith is taught with lots of words in a formal setting to rambunctious youngsters. David Stevens puts it this way. He says, quote, effective covenant teaching is conveyed not during the specially scheduled religious, quote, quality time, but rather during the normal course of daily routine. In such an intentional but informal scenario, any time can be a teachable moment, end of quote, quote. Richard Kaufman is the editor and the, of the Leader magazine, and the last, uh, which is a resource for Anabaptist churches. And the last couple issues on, on in the Leader uh, emphasize uh, the importance of faith formation and includes this topic of passing on the faith. And he cites a major study of more than 3,500 respondents from 357 three and four generation families. So it was a detailed study covering a number of people. And he says, quote, parents who are not dictatorial about their faith and allow their children some space in their own development are more likely to pass on their faith than parents who are heavy-handed about their faith. And then he makes an interesting observation that fathers who have warm emotional connections with their children are more likely to, to reproduce their faith, end of quote. Now, when I was growing up here in Lancaster County and Brecknock Township on a small poultry farm, I, as the oldest son, worked very closely with my father. Now, my father didn't talk much about his faith, but when he did refer to scripture or when he did talk about his faith, one paid close attention because it was not done very frequently. And I recall the spring chore of walking alongside the, wag the tractor and wagon, and it was my responsibility, or maybe some of my sisters also, walking alongside the wagon and 
loading the sandstones that had come to the top of the, the soil and the freshly tilled soil in the springtime. And then when the wagon was full, my father would take the, would pull the wagon over to the edge of the field where we would throw the stones, the sandstones that we had collected, that we had hoisted or thrown onto the wagon. We would then go clamber back onto the wagon and chuck off, throw off the, um, the sandstones. And as we were throwing those stones overboard, my father, quoting 2 Peter 3.10, stated that there the stones will be until they shall melt with fervent heat. And I recall that, that one scenario. And that comment was made in the ordinary routine, the ordinary chore of loading these sandstones, which I really didn't uh, appreciate and like that chore, loading those, that, those sandstones into the wagon, my father made, quoted that passage of scripture. And it was simply a comment about his belief in the return of Jesus and this belief in the scripture that one day at the return of Jesus, this earth shall melt with fervent heat. Number two, passing the faith to the next generation requires constant attention and discussion. Constant attention. It's not just a once and done deal. It's not just, well, now we've had a conversation about faith and now we don't have to talk about it anymore. Patrick Miller says, quote, the picture is that of a family continually in lively conversation about the meaning of their experience with God and God's expectation with them, end of quote. Certainly for my wife and I, we didn't do it perfectly as parents, but I do want to share one little vignette. And when our three children were growing up in our home, we had two questions that we asked them as we prepared them and tucked them into bed for the night. And so we asked them to reflect on the day and we would ask, what were the happy times that they had that particular day? And then we would also, the next question we would inquire, were there any sad times that they had experienced that day. And that gave us as parents an opportunity to see into their world and also provided them an opportunity to reflect on the day and to identify most their feelings of what they had experienced, particularly the sad and happy. And we could then pray together, which we did, pray and present those times to God in prayer. The third observation is that questions are the impetus for teaching the next generation. Questions are the impetus for teaching the next generation. And here I want to read Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 25, the latter part of this chapter. In the future, when your son asks, or you might, we might say when your son or daughter asks, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? And tell him 
We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before us, the Lord sent signs and wonders, the great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. One author states that preschool children ask an average of 100 questions a day. A day. Preschool children. John Drescher asserts that by the time a child is 12 years old, the child has asked 500,000 questions. Think of it. We have an opportunity to answer their questions and to guide them to God for a half a million times. Half a million opportunities to answer their questions and refer them to God. The writer of Deuteronomy encourages the parents to share the next generation the works and the miracles of God, of what God has done. The Jewish parents were instructed to talk about the fact that they were slaves in Egypt and to share about the miraculous work of God in bringing them out of Egypt. My sisters and brothers, in our time, we can do no less. We need to teach about the children, teach them about our enslavement in Egypt, in the land of sin in slavery to sin, and that God has delivered us from the land of sin, from the land of slavery. How we have given our lives, how we've given our all to the Lord Jesus Christ, and also how Christ has made a difference in our lives. And then to share with our children how God has led us in making decisions and the way we use our time and the way we spend our money, how all of this is under the guidance of God. Lastly then, let me emphasize again that the congregation must assist parents in handing and in passing on the faith. The congregation stands alongside the parents and in the few hours that we have each week in Sunday school or in VBS, that the congregation assists parents in transmitting the faith. But this takes more than youth leaders. It takes more than the youth pastor and professional persons. Life research makes an important point when they say, quote, teens who have had five or more adults from the church invest in them during the ages of 15 to 18 were less likely to leave the church after high school, end of quote. Notice the number, not just one or two, 
they, who've had five persons invest in them from ages 15 to 18 were less likely to leave the church. It takes a congregation, it takes a congregation to help youth stick to the church, stick to Jesus Christ. So, my sisters and brothers, how are we doing? Are we able to hand off the faith to the next generation, the baton, smoothly, or will it be awkwardly and done heavy-handedly? I would suggest then when we as parents stand in the silence like Elijah, and when we have a passionate, strong, passionate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls us to give our all, to give our entire lives with God's help, we will be able to guide our children into faith to the honor and glory of God with God's help. Amen. We'll share in a closing song.